From time to time, people will say to me, Coach, who's the best player to ever played a game? Who's the best all-around player in the history of basketball? Well, he's sitting here with me right now. The big O, Oscar Robertson, the best all-around basketball player to ever play the game. And his stats will back it up as we will talk about during this interview. Our first ballot Hall of Famer, ESPN voted him one of the top 50 athletes uh, in the last century. The NBA had him in the top 50 players of, of all time in the NBA. And the NABC had him as the best college basketball player of the last century. My man, Oscar Robertson, the big O. He grew up in, in, in Tennessee and, and Dickerson County, born there, born on Thanksgiving Day, interesting <laughs> enough. So it's always easy to remember his birthday because he was born on, on Thanksgiving Day and he li lived on a farm there with his mom and his dad and his two brothers, Bailey and Henry. And they live with their grandpa, which they affectionately call a Mama Pearl and Papa Bell. Oscar, how much do you remember about those early days, those when you were growing up on the farm there in, in uh, Dickerson County, Tennessee? I remember a lot because what would happen, I went to Indianapolis early when I was four or five years old to start, start school. But my parents had a, a tradition that as soon as school was out, the next day you, you were on the farm in the country and and assimilate in a different life. And it, I think it worked out fine because of the problems you had in the city, uh, with all, with all the city-type life, especially in the ghetto. It was perfect for us, and my, myself and my two brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, it, the history tells a story that, that your, your, your granddaddy, Daddy Marshall, lived to be the oldest man in America at that time. He, he lived to be 116 years old. Tell us about him. Yeah, that was Marshall Collier. Uh, at those days, that must have been the only going to see him. We had to go see him because my, my maternal grandparents and my paternal grandparents, he was my paternal grandfather, mm -hmm. great-great-grandfather, Marshall mm -hmm. Collier. Uh, you couldn't see him long. He would, he would go and say hello to him, and he'd say, oh, your uncles and aunts on, on my father's side, and next you got to see him as well. It was interesting because I didn't really understand the, the, uh, the effect of all of that until I'd gotten to be an adult because of, it, I, it's obviously with his features that, that he, was, he was the son of one of the slave owners. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing about him, George, uh, which is uh, so interesting to me, you read a little bit about his life, <clears throat> there was a river. That was uh, the Harpeth River, which you had to cross to go into town to go into Nashville. And but, but he always would run away, and they would catch him there. Not only him, with other people, because he couldn't swim. He would, mm -hmm. He'd afraid to swim across the river. Mm -hmm. But they never heard him. They never heard him at all. Mm -hmm. So he was very well thought of. Um, the Kyers were was a huge name in and around uh, Dixon County, Tennessee, uh, and also the Bales, which is on my mother's side. Mm -hmm. When you were four years old, Oscar, uh, you and, and, and your brothers and your mom uh, followed your dad on to Indianapolis, Indiana, you, and the family moved there, decided to move there. Uh, uh, what made the family decide to move to Indianapolis, and how much do you remember about moving to Indianapolis? Not a whole lot. I, I know my father went there because he had an aunt there, uh, 
was there, and then they had also had cousins who were working. He was looking for jobs, and that to Georgia, Tennessee, where I was from, you could only go to the eighth grade anyway. Mm -hmm. and he felt that uh, to get him to get a little better education, he wanted to move to the city and also get work. Um, and and uh, and, and it's, it's a, and my mother and my father. Uh, I don't know if, if they were having a lot of trouble, but she just decided that he after he was in Indianapolis for so long. She, she decided that's where she should be. So mm -hmm. my mother was a tough lady, man. Mm -hmm. So she picks up picks up her three sons and boom, goes to Indianapolis. And there were there were no high schools close by at, uh, in Dixon County that you could go to anyway. If you'd have no. stayed, you you would have had difficulty going to high school. At you? that particular time, I wouldn't because they didn't have any accommodations for blacks going in anything but the eighth grade. Mm -hmm. So there were no high school uh, opportunities available at all. And and you know, so usually after the eighth grade, you went to work on the farm. I uh, left to go elsewhere in the world. Mm -hmm. So you, your mom, your two brothers, you take off on the bus for Indianapolis, and you arrive in Indianapolis. And tell us about what happened when you arrived. You know, it's funny with me because I was four years old, mm -hmm. but, but I, I'm, I'm sure that uh, uh, we, we walked over to an aunt's house, uh, yeah. and that's where we that's where we stayed for a little while until uh, the got a house on on Colton Street, a little shotgun house opened mm -hmm. up. That's where we resided at that particular from that point on until I got. Got out, really almost got out of high school. Mm -hmm. It was on Colton Street. Yeah, they tell a story that you, your mom and the, and, the, and the boys, you got it to the station. And, of course, in those days, there were no cell phones and so <laughs> forth. So there wasn't any way for yeah. your, your mom to get a hold of your, your dad and your aunt to let them know you were there. So you guys walked 25 blocks to, to, the, to the Colton Street to the house. I'm sure that's what my brothers were telling me. So that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things like that, you know, like, it's a little different than it is today. Yeah. I read somewhere where you said when you were growing up, your parents never made you and your brothers feel like you were poor. What were some of the other life lessons that you learned from your mom well, and dad growing up, Oscar? Well, they both worked two two jobs to keep, keep the house over mm -hmm. and keep us fed. And, and you know, they just uh, very religious. My mother in the church, all the same church, all the mm -hmm. church music, and went to school. And then I think by going back every summer, uh, Tennessee really helped out quite a bit because she didn't realize because when you're on a farm you don't have to worry about money mm -hmm. uh, you raise everything you everything you need to eat mm -hmm. and so which is what what my grand grandparents did and we had a, and it was happy because mm -hmm. all your relatives were there except my mother and father of course mm -hmm. I had a few cousins still in Indianapolis Indiana but you know Christmas Christmas was a it was a fun time it, all we had was a little sock of hard rock hard, hard rock candy an apple and an orange in it. Mm -hmm. We thought that was the greatest thing in the world, Joe. <laughs> but now Christmas has gotten a little bit, a little bit a lot more commercial. Well, it's going the other way. Right? Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's what what can you get? And, and a lot of times people just forget what Christmas is really all about. Yeah. You know, when you were growing up early on, you tried to, to emulate the, your granddad, Papa Bell. You tried to talk like him, and you tried to walk like him, and. Uh, you know, was he your first role model? Of course, in those days, we didn't know what role models were, but I, no. I guess when you look back on it now, he might have been your first role model, huh? Yeah. He, he, he was a man very well thought of in, in the South, where he lived, uh, uh, in the bottomlands where he, where he worked. I guess he sharecropped to raise the corn for his animals during the wintertime. All the whites respected him, and they, they called him Uncle Early. Mm -hmm. You know, in the South, 
when uh, they want to call you, when they respect you, they don't want to call you anything. They call you uncle, uncle and aunt. That's what they call my grandmother and my and my, and my grandfather, mm-hmm. uncle Aunt Pearl and Uncle Early. Mm-hmm. So that that was it. So that so he was very well thought of. You know, I mean, he was a, really a good farmer when it when it came to soil and whatnot. And I'm sure that helped him quite a bit down in the bottom land. But he only had two, he had two horses, and then he got two mules. And the whites, they're, they're mechanical to a certain certain extent. But I don't know how he got. I don't know how he got it done. I don't know how in the world he could he could till all those fields, as big as those fields were, of corn mm-hmm. and hay, with just two horses. Mm-hmm. This is just unbelievable, you know. You look at things today, you know, every time I look at it. you got to have three or four of these you got million a, dollar machines. Yeah, the Reaper was got 40 rolls on it, and they go in and pick, they get the corn, and, and, and they throw it in. But how could he pick corn? I guess he had a couple of people to help him pick corn. In a wagon, pull, 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 being pulled with two horses, you're going to all this corn back and forth, back and forth all day long. Mm-hmm. Oscar, when you were about 11 or 12 years old, your mom, she was working for a white family there in Indianapolis, and it came Christmas time, and she brought you home a special Christmas yeah. gift that kind of started to change the, the world of Oscar Robertson. Tell us about that. Well, you know, when I was a little younger than that, I used to get little sock balls, and I'd go out in the yard, and I'd throw them up at an imaginary basket in the, you know, on a tree in front of the house, and, and throw things like that, paper bags, whatnot. And and for some strange reason, I don't know why she decided to do it. Maybe it was God's, God's intervention. She brought me a, a beat-up basketball from the place where she was a domestic worker. Um, i never forget the name, the, the address of the street, George, mm-hmm. 5550 Broadway, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Wow, you still remember that. Still, still remember that number. And she brought me this basketball, and, and but it was greatest greatest present I, ever, I could ever receive because mm-hmm. I, I treasured that basketball. Now, I didn't dribble the ball in the house as much as people said. I said I did, but mm-hmm. I played a lot outside and late at night, and, and sometimes I shot in the snow mm-hmm. and, and all these things. And, and I guess a lot of people sort of ran me home a lot of times at night. Mm-hmm. Basketball, boxing, the church, and school. They would probably represent the four pillars of your life growing up as a youngster. Uh, t- tell us about the role those four things played in, in, in young Oscar's life, basketball, boxing, the church, and school. Start with basketball. Uh, because my brother played uh, at Christmas Addicts where I went on to play, and they got into the state in 1951 for the first time. As a matter of fact, he had a shot against a team called Anderson, Indiana, Anderson Indians that propelled Addis to get into the state for the first time for a black team. And that was encouraging. Uh, uh, boxing, I used to love, love Friday night fights, man. Mm-hmm. Kid Gavilan, Sugar Ray, Sugar Ray Robinson, and man, and those guys, when Joe Lewis, of course. Mm-hmm. It, it, it gave you something to look forward to. Going back to basketball, another tremendous part of my life in basketball, Globe Trotters. Mm-hmm. I thought the Grove Trotters were the greatest of any. And they were, the, uh, Abe Saperstein founded that team right there in Indianapolis, yeah. didn't he? he? Evidently, he founded some, but I'll tell you what, well, for him to do that was the greatest thing in the world for not only myself, but all the blacks as well. Then the boxing, as I said, Kid Gavilan, Sugar Ray, Sugar Ray uh, Robinson, uh, 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 Joe Lewis, and Chuck Davey, and all those mm-hmm. guys, man. Mm-hmm. Kid. And then what a kid, 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 Gav, kid Gavilan, too. Yeah, yeah. Kid, had a bolo punch. Bolo punch, Kid Gavilan. I mean, this, and they had a great fight night. Paps Blue Ribbon Friday night mm-hmm, fights. Mm-hmm. They ring the bell. Yeah. Right? yeah. What do you have? Paps Blue, Blue Ribbon. Ribbon. Yeah, Paps Blue Ribbon. Beer. And it was great. Yeah. And the church, my, as I go into the church, 
my mother was very religious. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, when you live in the South, you go to church all day Sunday. You mm -hmm. know what I mean, it's not like it is in, mm -hmm. in the city where you know you pick a time. But there, here with my mother, she sang church songs and she went to church all the time. So during during the, during the week when I, I would go to school, I I play basketball in the, in, the, in the evenings and I'd go to church. Mm -hmm. Well, and during that time, Oscar, there was a there was a, a a place that to this day is legendary in Indianapolis, and they they called it the Dust Bowl. Yes. Tell us the role that what was the Dust Bowl, and what uh, role did it play in Oscar's life? Actually, it was a hardwood court. I mean, a hard yeah, hard court, not hardwood, but a asphalt type mm -hmm, of court. Mm -hmm. The reason the Dust Bowl came into it because where I lived on Coulter Street, they pushed this house down, mm -hmm. and when they pushed the house down, what the guys do? They we put a basket up. And we played on it. We got so dusty, like dusty, dusty. We call that a dust bowl. And because most of the guys who played a lot of great basketball lived on Coulter Street, mm -hmm. and so we just took that name on to the Lockfield Dust Bowl when they started having those tournaments and whatnot. But it was not it was not dust at all on, on, on the actual place where we played, which was in Lockfield Garden, which was a housing complex for black people in that time, but in Indianapolis. But all the great black players that came through Indianapolis yeah, uh, played, they they played I mean, in the dust. What was Professionally called the Dust Bowl. Not only blacks, but a lot of, all the whites came there and played eventually. Mm -hmm. At first, they didn't come, but when we had the Dust Bowl tournament, a lot of white teams uh, came down there to play, and there was no trouble. As a matter of fact, I think the Twins, uh, uh, our fan ourselves, played a lot of ball there. And, and you know, and, and I think I think that uh, uh, it was a great opportunity for people to get to know each other because I used to travel on the east side. The east side was a real tough neighborhood to go into, mm -hmm. but because I played basketball, they didn't bother me. Yeah. I'd go and play ball and. Travel back and forth, mm. but and Lafayette was was a center of basketball in Indianapolis during those days, no mm. doubt about it. And it was a, a tradition, as I think you meant you mentioned earlier in the summertime. Mama packed you boys, the boys yeah. up, and, and and sent you back to to Nashville to to be there during the summer with the relatives and work on the farm. And you bale hay and milk cows and 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 uh, and pick tobacco. Tell us about <laughs> what those summers must have been like for you. Well, Our people today probably couldn't. Couldn't picture Oscar milking no, a cow. No, I, mean, I wasn't very good at milking a cow, but but, uh, but summers was were fun. You got up early in the morning, about four thirty. You went down, you fetched your animals, mm -hmm. came and washed up, and came back to eat. And a breakfast was something different than it is today. Today you eat a couple of eggs and a piece of toast. Breakfast there might have been a fried chicken, fried potatoes, fried corn, wow. biscuits. You'd have some kind of some some sorghum molasses. It was a breakfast because you were going to work all day long. And you'd get up and you get get your breakfast, and then you go down go down to the barn and get your animals ready, and you took, and you trip down to the fields, which may have been taking about two or three miles. Mm -hmm. You go down down to the bottomlands, and uh, you had a sandwich at lunch. You worked in the fields. I mean, some of those fields was just, just amazing. Uh, you know, when I used to see the white guys before I started bailing hay on a, on a special on a, on a wagon or in the truck with this moon like five miles an hour, I wonder why they always take their shirt off. Now I know the reason why, because, man, you get that belt in your shirt and it's hot, 100 and some degrees, it just wears you out. So here I am out there, that's why I got a good suntan. Shirt mm -hmm. off, man, and, and I was like 13 or 14. I got some size on me. So when you get size in the country, they think you're a grown man. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, those, bell hay, those bells of hay were heavy as could be, mm -hmm. putting them up on that wagon. See, the machine would throw them on the wagon, then you'd have to stack them. 
and also with corn, pulling corn, pulling corn all day long, and 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 and, and, and then you had to thin it out. So my grandparents, my grandfather, I should say, with my three brothers, we'd get in this big field of corn. I don't, I don't know how we ever got it done. To be honest, I don't know how we got it done, but we thinned all the corn out and made it grow. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you at the early age, the 12, 13 years old, you, you, you had your first lessons on what hard work was all about. Didn't know anything. Didn't know anything. Did, didn't know the difference. I, I thought everyone did that. So you didn't, mm -hmm. think, you didn't know it was hard work, but, but you know that, uh, you know, you go out the field, you didn't complain, you just got, you just put your hat on and shirt on, you start working. Mm -hmm. uh, and <laughs> then you got, you got to know, know all the snakes mm -hmm. and all the places where you shouldn't go, you know, so you can stay alive. I mean, but you learn these things in life, you know. I mean, I mean, you know that, you know, uh, certain smells of things that you stay away from, certain, certain things that, that are so colorful that, 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 are, that are poison for you. Mm -hmm. You know, those kind of things, you know, you know where to get cool water. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, during the, during the lunchtime, you just take the, the, the bridle off the horse's neck, mm -hmm. and they go to the water hole themselves. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just a, it's an amazing thing what you learn, what you see around you. If you just stop and look, sometimes about life and nature, about life and nature. Mm -hmm. Like right now, George, when I'm at home, and the weather's about to change, I, I watch the squirrels. Mm -hmm. People are going to laugh at this, which is quite alright. Go ahead and laugh. But when the squirrels are out getting nuts and whatnot, running around, it's not going to get cold soon. Mm -hmm. When you don't see them for about two or three days, look out. Mm -hmm. So you learn a lot of valuable lessons <laughs> out there in, 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 the, in the natural elements of life and, and how to, to interpret the natural elements of well, life. Well, that's true. And I think it's, it's, a, it's it really, though, this is what animals do. Uh, it's how they survive. In, in the jungles and whatnot, they teach their offsprings how to stay alive. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes we as, as adults, we forget these things because we assume certain things are going to happen, like education. My grand, my parents, my father said, boy, if you don't if you don't go study, you're not ever going to play basketball. And those kind of things. You know, when you hear that from your father, then my father was, didn't say a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But you know, but he, when he said something, he really meant it. Mm -hmm. It just means a lot that when certain things that you're told, and you and that's like, for instance, uh, the guys uh, that I grew up with in and around Indianapolis and other than my parents, they would tell you about certain things about, about, about guys. For instance, I'll never forget this as long as I had one guy said, if you're ever in a fight on the, on the court, either get real close where you can grab around the neck and hold on or get away from him so he can't hit you. Mm -hmm. So I never forgot that. You either get real close. <laughs> yeah, so you can't get all up and really so lay one said, on if you. If anything happens, grab around the neck and hold on. Don't mm -hmm. let go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I never, I never forgot that. <laughs> And you probably had to use it a few times. Well, I mean, you learn. You see, in basketball, it's, it's not different, different than it is today. There, there were a lot of guys who would hit you, punch mm -hmm. you, and the fine was only $50. Mm -hmm. So you, you learn. I mean, you know, I, I tell you, the things you learn when you play uh, through your experiences, it, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful education for you because you learn the guys who punch and you stayed away. You know, mm -hmm. when, you, when you got to, you didn't get an arm length, punch and lift, you got away from them, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and, and here again, I'd always felt that from, from the guys I knew, they said, listen, always watch the silent guys. <laughs> he said, he said, that's true today. Is it said, listen, the ones that are making all the noise and random, they've done, he said, Watch out for the guys those same thing. Mm. <laughs> so I, I followed that throughout my career. And it worked pretty good. And it's not a bad lesson today, even in, in, in the business world. 